Hey, good morning. <clears throat> hey, um, I'm not sure if Jeff mentioned it this morning or not, but today is the last day to sign up in the back, the, the uh, men's gathering on February the 10th. There's a sign-up sheet back there. If you haven't signed up, uh, I would encourage you to sign up. Um, <clears throat> we'll be having an event that Saturday, and uh, we'll have a few guys that will be sharing. We'll spend some time together. We'll uh, enjoy the company of one another, encourage one another. And then Sunday night, <clears throat> we'll come back together. Uh, if you can make it Sunday night, and, and we'll have a time of fellowship, and, and we'll enjoy a, uh, some type of a sporting event that takes place every year in early February on Sunday night. Uh, that involves a pigskin and yes shirt sizes listen when you sign up out there if you don't get if you don't put down your shirt size and i order you a medium hey that's on you right okay yeah so be sure to write down your shirt size as well it's just a gift that we'd like to give you guys for coming out and, and being a part of of our group <clears throat> okay <laughs> um if you'll allow me just a minute before we get into the scripture, uh, we've had a, a lot go on over the last week, and especially with Miss Mildred, you guys have kind of been keeping up with that on, on Facebook. Uh, she has been in a life or death battle over the last week. Uh, I'm not sure um, if all of you guys know the degree uh, of which uh, she is being challenged, um, but it has been touch and go at several different moments over this week. Um, Wednesday night, we were at the hospital and uh, things were not looking good and uh, doctors doing everything they can do and uh, we're praying and trusting God. And ultimately, you know, that's where you're left, right? Trusting God. And, uh, and then she was staff flighted at the Jewish hospital uh, Wednesday night and uh, underwent a procedure that they'd given her about a 20 to 30% chance of surviving and she'd come through that. And, uh, and then, lo and behold, a, a day later, she ends up having another stroke, what they uh, had articulated to be a massive stroke in the back of her brain and whatnot. And so with that type of information, you're assuming uh, there's just going to be cataclysmic repercussions, physical fallout and whatnot. And so I had an opportunity yesterday to drive up to Louisville at Jewish Hospital, uh, spend some time with the family. Uh, they said, would you like to go in and see Miss Mildred? And I said, well... I would as long as it's not going to be, you know, detrimental to her um, and, and her rest. They say, oh, no, 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 she knows you're here, and she wants you to come in there. And so I went in there, and to my shock and amazement and my great joy, she looked so much better than she did Wednesday night. And she looked at me and just smiled, and she said, she said with a clear voice, full cognitive skills, uh, not showing any signs of impairment whatsoever. I was absolutely astonished. And um, she said, uh, I love you. <laughs> That's what she said. I'm like, well, I love you, Miss Miller. And she said, I am so thankful for my church family. And she told me, she said, you tell them that I love them. And uh, so I say to you, as an ambassador of Mildred Evans this morning, she loves you guys. And so there, there are some issues that are still present. Uh, they're trying to identify uh, some, uh, maybe some issues in her blood that's causing some of these blood clots that they can't quite put their finger on. And uh, so we need to continue to pray that those caring for her uh, would be making wise decisions 
And uh, I can't help, you know, if, you're, if you've ever been at Jewish hospital, you, you walk into certain parts of Jewish hospital, and there's Hebrew scriptures all over the walls, and there's the scriptures out of Isaiah and, and whatnot, and you're walking through there, man, you can't just help but think, I do know a Jewish physician, you know. And, uh, and so uh, it's, a very, it's a very, very uh, powerful thing uh, to walk into a place like that where life is touch and go, and scriptures are found throughout that facility. It's a, it's a powerful testimony to God's faithfulness over, over centuries. And, but having said that, just continue to pray. Continue to pray for wisdom for doctors and, and ultimately uh, the trust of God. And, and she did say that um, God would make her new uh, one way or the other. And that, that's a powerful, powerful declaration. Having said that, I want to ask you guys, this, this is somewhat selfish of me, but it's on behalf of my mother-in-law and her family. Um, Kathy's sister was here a few weeks ago when Kathy's brother had passed away, and she had come in. They live up in northern Kentucky, probably three hours, two and a half, three hours from here, and uh, coming down for the funeral, why not, uh, Ruthie was able to be here. And she has a son by the name of Brandon Scott, and Brandon, and, and I'm guessing late 30s. Would I be correct, Kathy? Would I, is he 40? Okay. Well, he'll appreciate me saying late 30s then. But uh, he's, he's in a difficult, difficult spot. 40 years old, he has a daughter, I believe, in college, and another daughter that's still in high school. And um, he's fighting for his life. Uh, suffering basically, uh, not to go into all the details, but multiple organ challenges, let me say that. And so his mother was here a few weeks ago and uh, put on a pretty good mask, you know, put a smile on her face, a little pep in her step. You know, she did the, but deep down in her heart, if you have children, the idea of uh, losing a child is absolutely just paralyzing. And uh, she's trusting God, but she understands uh, what's happening here. And he understands what's happening here. And so the least I can do is ask you guys to pray for Brandon Scott and pray for his mother, Ruthie, and his family, his wife, Sarah. Uh, they're fighting a fight, man. And, um, but uh, God is faithful to the end and to the new beginning. He is faithful. And so I just ask you guys uh, to be praying for them. And, uh, and I, I, will, I will say this as a witness and an encouragement to, to my brother, uh, Kevin Cappell. Uh, Sandra and Ricky and Megan told me a Jewish said, uh, when mom was at uh, that point where we thought that we were about to lose her at that moment, and the doctors were given percentages of Mildred's survival through that day, all of them said, you know what, if God can do that for Kevin Cappell, a dead man walking, he can do it, he can, twice, he can do it for mom. And so, uh, you know, that's right, ultimately trusting God in the outcome of this situation. So 
just be praying for those that I've mentioned, and, and um, I appreciate it, and they appreciate it. A second Thessalonians is where we find ourselves this morning, and we're in chapter two, right? Because last week we had jumped into chapter one, and and uh, and one of the things that we noted in chapter one of second Thessalonians was this was the what the second letter to this young church born over a period of three weeks in Thessalonica. Paul's writing back. Some reports have reached Paul. There's some troubling things still taking place in uh, the church at Thessalonica, some challenges uh, for these young believers. And one of the challenges that they were facing was a severe and deep persecution. So Paul writes them this letter, man, in 2 Thessalonians, and he encourages them in, in the first chapter. And he identifies a couple of things that are taking place within their life. Uh, that is very, very uh, a powerful, a powerful demonstration of, of God's goodness. And what he says to them was that their, their, their faith was growing, right? It was growing and uh, expanding. And, uh, and then he goes on to say, out of this faith that is growing, there's this love for one another that is growing as well. So he, he basically acknowledges to this young church, man, that the, the evidence of God's uh, uh, work and his hand in their life is bearing fruit through the expansion of their faith and their growth and their love for one another, right? So we touched on that. Yet, all that was happening under some very adverse Conditions. I mean, faith growing in adverse conditions. Conditions. Now, this is something I saw and communicated with other people while we were at Jewish Hospital the other day. People, other families in this in these waiting rooms who are suffering challenges and whatnot, and yet they're 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 playing worship music or or they're crying out in prayer and and they're asking for prayer. You see, faith kind of just kind of swelling up under adverse conditions, and this is what was happening in the church at Thessalonica, and Paul ultimately ends up saying to them that God was going to produce and see to fruition these good purposes that were born in their hearts and through their faith, and he was going to do it through his power. So it wasn't going to be their power, but it was going to be God's power that was going to see these things through. And so what did we do? We ended the service last week talking about the ibex goat or ibex deer. Remember that? We showed the small video, right, of the small deer scaling these walls that you would think were, un, you know, it, it's impossible to scale, right? And we talked and we closed last week's service with the notion that the psalmist and the prophet uh, Habakkuk both had said, you, O sovereign Lord, are my strength. You, you are my strength. Give me feet like a deer that I might stand on high places. And what, what uh, the psalmist and the prophet were referring to were these ibex and what they were basically saying to God and what Paul was saying to the Thessalonica uh, church was that it's not about the conditions in which you're in. It's about e being equipped by God to navigate those conditions. Just like the psalmist says, give me feet like a deer. He wasn't asking that God would level the mountain, right? He wasn't asking that, that the, the path be flattened and straightened and all the crooks and nannies be corrected. He said, give me feet to navigate that. 
And Paul was saying to this young church who is suffering all these things, God will produce in you in his power in these conditions. Basically saying the prayer of the psalmist and of the prophet would be answered in them. God would give them too as well also those type of feet to traverse difficult circumstances. And sometimes we don't even realize that we need feet like that till we get into that type of mess. And it's the only way we navigate it. The only way. We knew that. that we, we unpacked that last week in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul addresses another issue that's taking place within the young church there in Thessalonica. And you know what it is? Deception. Deception. That's robbing them. What had taken place was that there were people who had come into the church making statements or claims that were neither true, accurate, or consistent with what God had intended them to know. And they delivered these things through what Paul refers to as a spirit or a prophecy, as word of mouth, and even by a letter with a, with, with, with a context that would lend you to believe that had been fabricated and identified as being a product of the Apostle Paul. So he addresses these things because these falsehoods begin to create some things in the life of the church that was absolutely, absolutely destructive. And these things can be, can be uh, 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 built or experienced in our lives too when these types of things begin to play out in our lives as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're just going to handle or unpack a few verses today as he, had, as he deals with these things. Now, there's some heavy stuff in here. We're going to get into the man of lawlessness, right? The man of perdition, right? We're going to get into that today briefly, okay? So let's look at this scripture. We're going to read these first two verses. We're going to pray, and then we're going to unpack this, okay? Okay? Okay, okay. All right, thank you, Kevin. Let's do it. Let's do this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth, or by a letter asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to unpack this scripture. We want to see it clearly. We want to express it, Lord, in a manner that can be consumed by our hearts and our minds, our spirits, that it would strengthen us, and allow us to navigate the challenges that we face as followers of Jesus. So, Father, we just ask for your blessing upon this word and the blessing upon those who hear it. Speak, oh God, through your servant, through a servant, 
a vessel of clay. Speak to your people today. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask this. And your sons and daughters said amen. Amen. Okay, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Now one of the things we've just read in this scripture is that the confusion that has been generated through the source material we're about to deal with, the confusion that has been generated was that these Thessalonians had thought that the day of the Lord had already come and that they were, had been left, in a sense, to live under the judgment of God. Now, there's two things that automatically you have to ask yourself. Is this, why would this leave them disheartened? Why would this leave them troubled unless they had anticipated not being left? Right? Had they not anticipated not being left through the teachings of the Apostle Paul, then the, the, the judgment of God in this period of, of tribulation that they were experiencing would have then been welcomed because it would have been a precursor to the coming of Jesus. Right? So these are some of the things you have to ask yourself, you have to consider. But that is the, the gist of what has happened here, is that they had been deceived into believing that the day of the Lord had come and that they had been left behind and they were suffering under the judgment of God. Now this was a young church. These were not people who had been raised under deep, deep teaching and had a history of the scriptures. This, this was a young church, a baby church. So this is where it begins. And he says concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. That is important, us being gathered to him. Now one of the things I want you to know in regards to scripture, okay, future predictive prophecies occupy, listen to this, about 20% of scripture. Meaning the scripture, about 20% of scripture alludes to some future happening or experience or expression of God. About 20%. One third of this 20% is focused on the second coming of Jesus. One third of this. Of 660 general prophecies in the Bible, about 330 or 50% of them relate to Jesus Of those 330 prophecies about Jesus, about 110 of them refer to his first coming. And 220 of those refer to his second coming. There are 46 Old Testament prophets. 10 spoke of the coming of Jesus first time. 36 of those prophets of his second coming. Approximately, listen to this. One of every 25 New Testament verses relate to Christ's second coming in some way, shape, or form. There are eight New Testament mentions of the second coming for every mention of Jesus' first coming. Jesus referred to his second coming 20 times, and there are over 50 warnings in the New Testament that he is coming again. So this is absolutely pertinent Jesus wanted us to know this. This was a doctrinal reality that there would be a coming again of Jesus Christ. This was something that was taught to the Thessalonican church. They were expecting this. They were operating under this truth. And the reality for you and I, even today, is that this is still 
in the works. We, as they were anticipating this, should still have this yearning and desire and anticipation in our heart that this thing is just starting to percolate, man. I mean, it is on the horizon. And we should have an anticipation in our heart of this reality. And so this is what he says. He says, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed. Unsettled or alarmed. Immediately, through this negative doctrinal flaw, it has produced an unsettling and an alarming what then would the scripture then imply through sound biblical understanding? It would what? It would imply that solid biblical understanding of who Jesus is would produce what? A settling in our spirits and a reassurance, just the opposite of what they were experiencing, right? And listen, man, we all know, we all experience this unsettling feeling that's being produced when we're taking in information and understanding from sources that we do not trust and sources that we're being bombarded with. Man, when you turn on the news, I don't know how many of you guys are like this. When you turn on the news, man, I can't watch the news for about five or ten minutes, man, and all of a sudden I feel, I feel this strange uh almost a darkness, man, of, a, of unsettling that's coming out of the fear that's being produced and promoted through the doctrines of lies and the nonsense, man, that uh, uh, people are subscribing to. There is no way that all this can be true when both sides are presenting the opposing thing. And you just find in the midst of this, this unsettling that you and I experienced. They were experiencing something very similar to that. As a matter of fact, the word unsettled is saluo. You know what it means? It means to agitate, to shake, to disturb in the mind. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have ever had one of those walking washing machines. Anybody ever had a walking washing machine? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here? Okay, everybody, all the rest of you guys had that really good washing machine, right? Y'all had that really good one. Mm. Well, I've, I've, we've had those washing machines, and, and the one that I have now, it's, it's starting to walk a little. It, it, it's a, it, it, well, it was an infant when it was new, and now it's become a toddler, and it's starting to shimmy a little bit. And, and what happened is I'll, I'll load up the clothes in there. Carry up here. Ooh, okay. Uh, we'll load up the clothes in there. <laughs> We'll load up the clothes in there, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll put them in there, and, and, and I'll, I'll leave that uh, load of clothes somewhat unbalanced. You know what I'm talking about? You'll put all the clothes on one side of the agitator, right? You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, man, you'll hit, you'll hit go or start or whatever it is. You'll put in the, uh, 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 the detergent, whatever it is, and you'll leave. And, and a few minutes later, man, you don't know if somebody's knocking on the door, someone's breaking in the house. You don't, and if you're really careful and you get close enough to where that room is at, where that uh, laundry room is at, man, you can feel the vibrations through the floor. And you know, you know that thing, if it's left to itself, that thing will agitate itself completely out of that room. Man, you're liable to look out the front door and you're, watch me, she's going down the street, man. 
You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that thing is moving. I've walked in there, man, where I couldn't hardly open the door. That thing done agitated all the way on the middle of the floor. I have to go outside, come in the other door, push the washing machine back. But you know what I'm talking about. And that's what Paul was saying. So much of this misinformation has left this young church agitated, so shaken up and so stirred. And then he says, throweo, alarmed, and it means to be placed in an emotional uproar. And so the Apostle Paul writes this young church man who is growing so much, and he says to them, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become so easily agitated. Don't allow yourselves to be thrown in such an emotional uproar. Listen, by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting the day of the Lord has already come. He said prophecy. Some translations will render that spirit, meaning basically somebody makes a declaration. Listen, thus saith the Lord. Let me tell you something. Not everything that follows thus saith the Lord is of his spirit. Now, it's of a spirit, but it's not necessarily of his spirit. You know how many times I've heard people make crazy declarations? I'm saying that's completely out of bounds. That's completely unbiblical. That's completely out of the, out of the context of what Scripture would even suggest. And the Apostle Paul said, there's people among you who are speaking out of a spirit, prophesying out of a spirit, but it's not his spirit. It's a spirit, but it's not his spirit. And then he says this, or by word of mouth, or by word of mouth. One person's opinion, another person's opinion, before you know it, all of a sudden you've divided the truth between two or three opinions. And the truth is just splintered, man. And then he says this, or by letter. Let me say this to you. When you turn on your TV and you turn on your Christian program or whatever it might be, not every book you're ordering that's put out by Tyndale House or by any other book publishing company, whoever it might be, not every book that's written by, quote, unquote, a Christian source is biblical. Do not subscribe to just anything because it's been stamped as a Christian source. Hence, the importance of understanding what the Scripture actually says and what the Scripture actually teaches. Because if we do not know what the Scripture says, teaches, and, what the, and, 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 and the depth of that, if we do not understand that, then we're going to be subject to be tossed to and fro by every nonsense that's being promoted, produced, and peddled out there, even within Christendom. The Apostle Paul says, look guys, there's some things that have been brought into the church and they've been accredited to myself, to Timothy, and to Silas, and it is not so. This is the reason at the end of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, I believe it says in chapter 17, I write this greeting in my own hand. Understand, I'm writing this. 
Make no mistake, what you're getting in this letter is absolutely from me. He says, and then he goes on and he says this. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that, the day, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. But he says this at the very beginning. He says, do not let anyone deceive you in any way. Let me say this to you. Small deceptions, small deceptions lead to huge compromise. Small deceptions can lead to tragic, catastrophic loss. And you say, oh, Trent, what do you mean small, small deceptions? I don't know, can it get any smaller than what we find in Genesis chapter 3? Hey, eat this piece of fruit. Surely you won't die. Surely that's not going to happen. What's the big deal? It's a piece of fruit. And this small deception bit into has led to destruction like this world has never known prior to the small deception. The Apostle Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. And then he says this, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Apostasia is the word, Greek word for rebellion. It's where we get the word apostasy or apostate. You know what that means? Do you know what that means, the word apostasy? It means leaving from a previous standing. Leaving what the Apostle Paul was saying, listen, the coming of the Lord isn't going to happen until these things happen. And what I say is going to happen is there's going to be an apostate. There's going to be apostasy taking place. There's going to be a great falling away. Now, I love these people who want to preach and teach and I'm, I'm just putting out that in the end times, there's going to be this great revival that's going to happen, right? That there's going to be this great revival that God's going to really throw himself and his grace out there and he's just going to bring people in by the mass. That's not what the scripture teaches. What the scripture teaches is there's going to be a great rebellion or apostasy. There's going to be a great falling away that the scripture says that the love of many will wax cold. Timothy is written to later by the Apostle Paul, and he says to him in 1 Timothy, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. There will be a great falling away. This great rebellion will take place. And I know what you're thinking, but hold on, didn't Jesus say something about that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come? Isn't that what the scripture says in Matthew right there? Hold on, Trent. It's saying right there that God's going to reach out to all the earth. What does it say he's reaching out to all the earth for? As a testimony to all the nations. Do you know what a testimony does? It does two things. It vindicates or it condemns. It doesn't say he reaches out to all the nations. To vindicate them, he reaches out to all the nations as a testimony to the nations, to them and against them. Those who reject the gospel, it'll be a testimony against them because they knew the gospel had been shared. The gospel had been presented. 
Then that's what he says. Now I want you to remember this because in the middle of this scripture, man, there's something really big for us to get a hold of. And that's this encouraging reality that God remains in control even while they're going through some difficult stuff, okay? This is what he says. Right there at the end of that verse, he says, the man, right? The, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The apostle Paul says, yeah, this is all going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, so don't be all agitated and stirred up and out of your mind. It hasn't happened, but this man of lawlessness is going to come after an apostasy. This man of lawlessness, lawlessness will show up, but he is doomed, doomed for destruction. You know what he's saying right there? The lawlessness one will meet the lawgiver. The Antichrist will meet the Christ. The great serpent will meet the snake crusher. That is this theme that he's preaching in this young church. And the theme is shouting out this. God remains in control. He will oppose, talking about the man of lawlessness, he will oppose, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple. He's talking about the man of lawlessness here. He said, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. Proclaiming himself to be God. Now this is the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. Jesus references this. Literally references this. And references the prophet Daniel, Right? And he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, contrasting what they had heard with what he had told them. And he's calling on them to remember what he had told them. Well, how do they remember unless they hear, listen, take it in? How are you and I going to be able to discern between what is false, what is not correct, unless we know what is true and what is correct? What is the measuring device if we're apart from God's word to determine what is right and what is wrong in the sight of God? It can't be our hearts. Man, our hearts are like this, man. It can't be our intellect. I know you. You know me. You don't want to depend on that. But it's God's word. And Paul is drawing a stark contrast between what they had been taught and what they had heard. And then he says this, and now you know what is holding him back. Now him... The one who is, or the what is actually a who, right? You, you, got, you know this, right? And now you know what is holding him back. So that he may be revealed at the proper time, okay? It's the asserting of the power and sovereignty of God right here. You know who's holding him back. He literally says this to the Thessalonians, and he doesn't reveal it to us, but we understand it, it is the Spirit. He says this, you know, I've told you, you know who's holding him back. And then he says what? He says, and now you, you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. God is the one who will determine the proper time. The enemy, though loose and effective on this earth, is still being restrained by the restraining power of the Spirit and God will determine when the appropriate time is for what? For the Spirit to be taken out of the way. And for the man of lawlessness, lawlessness 
to be given free reign. That's what the scripture says. Let's read this. Let's read this. He says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Now we know this, right? The secret, now that, that's something to sit on, the secret power. It's that hidden thing. You know what I'm talking about? Remember what Paul says to the Ephesians? Remember when he starts talking about this secret power, this secret power of lawlessness? He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Isn't that what he reveals? He says this is the secret thing that we're combating. It's a spiritual thing. And there's a secret power that's at work, this lawlessness. It's a spiritual thing that's at work. And it's, it's covert. It's in the dark, man. That's what he's saying. This thing's under the surface. Every once in a while, it'll produce something that you can identify that it's there. But you don't actually see it happening. It's secret. It's like the moles in my yard. I walk out there sometimes, Ed, and I, I say, I got rid of all the moles. I have conquered the moles. I see no evidence of the moles. And unbeknownst to me, the secret power of the lawlessness of the moles is still at work. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Because I'll walk out there the next day, and man, it looks like a stinking minefield. I said, I didn't see it, but it was happening the whole time. Majority of the time under the cover of darkness. And then there's no doubt they're there. The evidence is, is clear to see. But there's a secret power. Paul pens it in Ephesians. And it's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And that's what he's saying. Listen. Then he says this. But the one, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Now, I want you to understand something. This doesn't imply that the Spirit is removed, but the residing presence of the Spirit as a barrier is no longer in the way. That's the reason the Scripture says taking out of the way. It's almost this image, and we'll get to it as the Scripture develops. It's almost this image where the Spirit has dammed up the water of the work of the lawlessness one, and then the gate is opened ultimately. And you'll see this as it plays out in this scripture. And he says, and then the lawless, lawless one will be revealed, whom the, listen to this, listen to this, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow, you see that? With the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. All this is happening. Don't lose sight of the one who will deal the death blow. And that's what he keeps reiterating to this young church man who is shaking at their core. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what he said. And then he says this. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Well, how does he work? Oh, he's a deceiver and a liar, right? That's what he is, deception. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. And the scripture says, and they perish, listen, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse 
They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. There's a, there's a Greek word, and it, it is dikome, which means to welcome. Dikome. Means to, it, it, if you were to paint a picture, it is the idea of setting out a welcome mat. Dikome. Well, in the Greek, in the Greek, this word that is used here isn't just dikome, it's o dikome, and the o is an amplified, it is the strongest Greek negative amplifier, meaning contrary to dikome. It's the opposite of dikome. The visual then, because it's the strongest negative amplifier, the ideal isn't just that they're not welcoming, but that they're taking the welcome mat and removing it. It is a refusal. It's not just a passive not believing, but it is, it is an aggressive posturing against receiving. It is literally removing the welcome mat. It's one thing, man, to go to someone's house and the welcome mat is out and you knock on the door and they open the door and they say, oh, come in. And you feel, well, the mat said welcome. But it's a whole different ballgame, man. When you approach that porch, brother, and Amanda's out there, and she grabs that welcome mat, and she hides it, shuts the door, turns out the lights. That's what he's talking about here. When he's talking about refusing, that's what he's actually saying. And then you get this beautiful picture of Jesus. And these are the words of Jesus found in Revelations. Chapter 3, verse 20. This is who Jesus is. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. That person, I will eat with that person and they with me. That's what Jesus is saying. And some leave the mat out, a decome. And some remove it, oh, decome. And yet I stand at the door and I knock even where I'm unwelcome. That's what he says. If they open the door. But the door's there and he knocks. Let's close with this. And then Paul says this to them in verse 11 and 12. He said, for this reason, what reason? The refusal. Now this is going to sound really hard to those of you who subscribe to this notion of God being this turn a blind eye God full of love to anything. This is what the script, for this reason, their refusal, God sends, sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And I know what you're thinking. Hold on, man. Trent, this don't sound good. This don't sound good. It don't even sound proper. It doesn't even sound correct. How can God send a lie well, do you remember earlier when I was talking about taking away the spirit? In the Greek, in the word sense, it's pimpo, and it means permit to go. Remember when I was talking about that dam, the gate being raised and everything going? That's what the scripture, that's what Paul's referring to. That's what part, remember the spirit of delusion? Remember that? You remember that? You're reading it right there, right? What's in a powerful delusion? Well, who, who is the one, who's the source of all that? Who is the liar, the deceiver? He just opens up the gate and he says to the people who wants this, this is what you've wanted. 
Why? Because they have refused, right? They have refused to believe the truth. And here's the crazy thing about it. I'm just going to be really honest with you. One of the crazy things about it when you're sharing the scripture with people is they'll paint this, this idea that that God has turned his back on them. That, that, that God has somehow not loved them enough. That God has somehow moved from his position of love and grace and mercy. When in fact, it isn't God who, who moves from that position. As a matter of fact, God has postured himself in Christ Jesus permanently in this position of grace and mercy. He's the father of lights is what the scripture says. Did you know that? And the scripture says that there is no shadow or even a hint of turning in him. Did you know that? There's not even a shadow or a hint of him turning. I liken it unto the sun, right? You know, the scripture says he's the father. I liken God unto the sun in the sense that the sun is always exuding or generating light, right? The sun man, is, is uh, uh, to the best of our knowledge, the greatest source of light in the known universe or, or our known galaxy. The sun produces light 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 12 months out of the year. It's nonstop light, right? All the time. It never dims. It's always, but if it's producing light all the time, in infinite measure or so it seems, then why is Half of the earth dark when there's such a great light. And so we ask of God, why God, if you're the father of light, if you're so vast with your love and whatnot, why then does that light not permeate everyone's life? It's the same answer to that question towards God as I would give you to the darkness of the earth. And that is this, the earth rests on axis that turns and that area of the earth that is facing the sun in that motion of turning receives the light. The light on the, or the part of the earth that is on the axis turned away from the source of light is engulfed in darkness. But it isn't because the sun lacks power to illuminate the earth, but upon the axis and the turning of the earth it has hid itself from the light. And you know what we can become sometimes? Axis people. We sit on an axis. There's times, man, we just turn away. We turn our backs on God and we say, why is it so dark? Why is it so dark? And the whole time God would be saying to us, just, just turn around. Just turn around on your axis. Just turn around. And every, every ray of light that you need produced in your life will I expose you to. But I'm not going to make you turn. But I am here when you do turn. And so I would say to you this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on in your life. I have no idea. 
But if you're in that experience where you find yourself living in some darkness, I, if I could plead with you, if I could literally just get down, just beg you, I'd say, isn't today a good day just to turn around? Just what's in the darkness? You know what's in the darkness? Apostasy. Falling away. Removing yourself from a position where once you were in the light and you have chosen darkness and that's what God has said. And that's what he said right there. A condemned state is a chosen state. but not chosen by God. Chosen by us. It's a God who loves us, who has died for us, who has given us everything we could possibly need. And yet we look at him at times, as beautiful as the light is, we look at all that, and we just turn around. through the darkness. And I watch people live out their lives like that. Jay, you want to run up to me? You want to say, just turn. And it's not in you to do that. But this morning, the the choice is yours. When we walk out of this place this morning, we're going to have a choice to make. And the choice is, will we be children of the light? Will we be those who walk in the light? Will we be people who understand the scripture, walk in the truth of the scripture, are able to take it into our hearts and resist the lies and the deception and navigate this culture of insanity in which we live? Are we going to be those people to walk in the fullness of God's glory. Is that who we're going to be? We have that opportunity today to be those people. Or we can choose to be access people. There's going to be times in our life where we're going to say, well, I feel like I'm in the light, and then, no, I'm in the darkness. And you know what I'm talking about if you're an access person, because many of us have been access people. You know what I'm talking about, that roller coaster ride? There's days I want to love God, and there's days I want to love me. I love God. Oh, I love me. And God is calling us to be children of the light. Time to get off the axis, fix ourselves in Jesus, and live that life out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Hey, listen, I've... Uh, I've got something really special for you guys this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask Danny if he would turn the lights up just a little bit. I'm going to ask the kids to come in just for a second. You know, listen, we've... Uh, We've gone through some difficult things, you know, in the church family, haven't we? 
And uh, because we've gone through some difficult things, you know, the scripture teaches us to mourn with those who mourn, right? And uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, right? And that includes the, the Ashlock 27. Let's get everybody in here just a second. This morning, uh, you guys get the opportunity, the privilege to be a witness uh, to a, a vow renewal of a young couple here at the church who, uh, who, has, who have become dear to me and my family. They're a part of our small group on Thursday nights. We love them. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Michael and Brandy if they would come up here. Now, Brandy already told me uh, earlier this morning, I said, you nervous? She said, a little bit. I said, no need to be. No need. Come <laughs> Yeah, come on up here, guys. You know what? Can I move this? It's okay, isn't it, guys? Yeah, you guys just stand right up here. They don't want to see me. Yeah. Hey, I love I love these people. They I love them. Now, I will say this. Unbeknownst to Brandy, she may know now, but this has been in the works for months, has it not, Michael? Yes, we've had our anniversary. Yeah. So, um, Michael had postponed this because he wanted Brandy's mom here. Well, they did this. And as you guys know, Brandy's mom went on to be with the Lord. Uh, and, uh, But I know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, how proud she would be of the two of you all. And I want you guys to know that Carrie and I and the entire church love you guys. We love you guys. I love you, Mike, Brandy. Here, look, here, bring on in, brother. <laughs> love, love you guys. And uh, it's a privilege for me. Uh, to be a part of this with you guys, okay? So, uh, could I get some? T let me get. Let me get these to you guys. If you need one, number a sister. Are you guys ready? We are here today in the sight of God, and those gathered here to witness the renewal of wedding vows between Michael and Brandy. I'm just going to ask you guys to take one another's hand, if you would, please. Michael, do you again take Brandy to be your lawfully wedded wife from this day forward to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part? If so, say, I do. Brandy, do you again take Michael to be your lawfully wedded husband from this day forward to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do you part. If so, say, I do. I do. On your wedding day, you exchange rings as a symbol of the never-ending circle of love. Rings serve as a reminder of your wedding vows to each other and your commitment to live in unity, love, and happiness. At this time, it is appropriate to acknowledge and reconfirm the meaning of your rings. So I'm just going to ask you guys to continue to hold hands. 
That, no, you're fine. You're fine. You can go ahead and put that ring back on, brother. Oh, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's even more beautiful. That's awesome. Michael, I need you to repeat after me. Brandy, Brandy. I wear this ring you placed on my hand as a symbol of my love and commitment to you. Brandy, please repeat after me. Michael, I wear this ring you placed on my hand as a symbol of my love and commitment to you. Michael, I need you to repeat after me. I, Michael, take you, Brandy, to be my wife. I promise to cherish and honor you through all the ups and downs of life. With this vow, I reaffirm my eternal love and devotion to you. Brandy, repeat after me. I, Brandy, take you, Michael, to be my husband once again. I promise to cherish and honor you through all the ups and downs of life. With this vow, I reaffirm my eternal love and devotion to you. Michael and Brandy have reaffirmed their vows and commitments to one another here today. And it is, it is with a... Uh, uh, it's my great pleasure with God's joy and presence over this couple in the presence of him and his church, that being you, to present once again Mr. Michael and Brandy Densey. Hold on, hold on. Here, no, 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 hold on. I don't, I don't, here, I need you. You may kiss the bride. <laughs> Come here, I love you all. Hey, listen, we love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week. Love you all. Come here, brother.